The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by High Echelon. You can find them at highechelloncpa.com. High Echelon PC is a nationwide CPA firm in Atlanta focused on a great client experience. High Echelon provides top quality work with total transparency, so clients always know exactly what they're getting. They believe accounting doesn't need to be complicated and that clients should always get the experience they deserve, which includes top-notch accounting, tax and payroll services, timely communication, complete data flow, and the best automation and security. Book a call or drop them a line at their website, highecheloncpa.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Elemental Altitude Training Center. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com. Elemental Altitude is Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. At Elemental Altitude's state-of-the-art indoor training center, they are capable of simulating elevation up to 24,000 feet. Training in the thinner air and lack of oxygen prompts an increase in red blood cells, meaning that more oxygen can be delivered to your working muscles on race day. Athletes undertaking all sorts of goals from rugged mountain climbs to flat sea level marathons to Ironman triathlons train in the hypoxic environment created at Elemental Altitude. I trained there several times myself ahead of my successful race at the London Marathon in 2022. In addition, Elemental Altitude hosts a variety of physiological testing such as sweat testing, blood lactate testing, VO2 max testing, and a variety of metabolic testing which can tell you your resting metabolic rate and the types and amounts of fuel you're burning at different training and racing intensities. Drop them a line at info at elementalaltitude.com if you have questions or you want to set up an appointment. Again, their website is elementalaltitude.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel advisors are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. They love to help people plan their travel, whether it's for a race, a family trip, a weekend getaway, or the trip of a lifetime. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the U.S. or abroad, Blue Pineapple Travel can plan exactly the trip that you want. Find them online at bluepineappletravel.com and see some of the great places that folks who have worked with Blue Pineapple Travel go on their Instagram, at bluepineappletravel. Finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance's mission is to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and to find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. Thanks to all of our sponsors who help us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, Elemental Altitude Training Center, and High Echelon PC. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a college professor. I'm a father of twin boys. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete in Atlanta. I am a CPA and a mom to three girls. 
And not only is my name Eric Hall, but I am Eric Hall. I'm an endurance <laughs> athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm the father to three baby, baby adults. adults. <laughs> baby adults. And the husband to a beautiful ultra marathon running wife, Melissa. Very good. I am glad to be back with both of you. I uh, missed y'all over the course of the past couple of weeks as I was traveling through Germany and then Iceland, and I've been eager to get together with you and talk to you about the Berlin Marathon. So we are actually starting a double shot of race reports here uh, that we are going to release over the course of the next several days. Uh, Right now, today, we're going to talk a little bit about the Berlin Marathon and my having run that on September 24th. And then next, we're going to talk about Eric having run the Doggettville 12 hour race uh, only one week after the Blue Ridge Relay. Uh, Berlin, I had a full two weeks after the Blue Ridge Relay. So much time here. Um, but uh, but both of us faced challenges along the way. And uh, we wanted to separate those two race reports into separate podcasts. So uh, Berlin Marathon. Michelle, what do you want to know? <laughs> what do I want to know? I want to know what you ate the day before the race, because Hmm. if it were me, I feel like I'd just kind of stick with the pretzels over there. So yeah, that's a fine choice. My wife was definitely eating plenty of pretzels. My sons were eating plenty of pretzels. But as Eric knows, my traditional day before the race meal is actually barbecue. Um, right and so <laughs> whenever i have like a big target race i always try and eat barbecue and even not even all that big of a target race i try to eat barbecue the day before um in austin which i did back in february that was super easy we have a place that we've fallen into the habit of going in the blue ridge relay over the course of the past few years which has been great too. Pig. Um, i even found a barbecue place in london last year um, to eat the day before the London Marathon. Uh, but this year, I did not get to have barbecue the day before the Berlin Marathon. We flew over there on Thursday night into Friday morning. Um, it was kind of a long trip over there. Uh, my sons had fall break the week after the Berlin Marathon. And so we didn't want to pull them out of school too early. Um, and so I taught class all day Thursday. And then we went and boarded a flight on Thursday night, flew overnight to Frankfurt, got on the train in Frankfurt and then took the train about three hours to Berlin. Um, And once you put all that together, we ended up getting to our hotel in Berlin at about five o'clock on Friday afternoon. So, so Saturday we slept late because jet lag. Right. Sure. Um, And, and then we all kind of had brunch together at about 11 o'clock and then we all had dinner together at about six o'clock and that was it. That was my day before the race. <laughs> and, uh, like there's no way to, to squeeze in a solo trip to a barbecue restaurant in there in Berlin. And so, yeah, so no barbecue this time. Um, the but, update of where you guys ate dinner from your wife's um, stories did not look like a, a barbecue no. restaurant per se. <laughs> <laughs> it was not. It was not. Um, we went to this really nice uh, restaurant um, there in Berlin that was right on the course. As a matter of fact, we stayed really close to the course. Um, and then the restaurant was a couple of blocks away from where we stayed um, that was literally had a window looking out on the course. And the inline skaters were doing their race while we were having dinner there. Um, and so we kind of got to see all of them competing and going by, which was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, between that, you know, brunch we had at 11 and that dinner we had at six, um, we all went to the expo together, which was at this old airport called the Tempelhof Airport, which was the site of the Berlin airlift back in the day. Um, but it's now like just 
it's it's an old airport that's not used anymore, but it's not like it doesn't look like an airport. I mean, it very much looks like an airport uh, from the 1980s. Um, and uh, but they use as a big, huge convention space and went to the expo and purchased a thing or two, not a whole lot. Um, and then um, went back and rested and got up early the next day for the marathon. So I, I was worried about that quick turnaround. Um, sure. And I think it was about as I expected it to be. Um, I still didn't really feel all that great the morning of the race. And during the race itself, from the very start, I felt like I was running fast. Like if I was doing check-ins, I knew I wasn't overexerting myself. Like my my breathing was where it needed to be. My system felt like it was supposed to. My legs felt like they were supposed to. But I just mentally felt like I was running fast. And I think it's just because I wasn't very well rested. Um, my brain right. was a little bit tired. Um and I had to kind of push that aside um, throughout the course of the race. So just backing up a second, we talked several weeks ago about your build up to this race um, and how you were going to use a lever on mm -hmm. the treadmill um, in yep. order to, you know, kind of help not put as much pressure on your Achilles. Mm -hmm. How did that go? Like, how did how do you feel like your training went? What were you what were you feeling like leading into the race with? Yeah, I don't want to say like a revised buildup, but definitely not the type it was of, a, it. I'd say it was a compromise buildup for sure. Compromise, um, okay. because, because my, my Achilles was hurting as bad in June as it has hurt in the last several years. Um, and I decided in June, right about the time when I need to be ramping things up that I needed to actually not run a whole lot and basically back off entirely. And then even into July, when I kind of started finally ramping things up, because you're talking about July and August now, so not a whole lot of time really to build for a marathon. Um, even then, it was still bothering me, still hurt me. And that's when I ended up getting a lever, um, which Eric loves, by the way. And Eric has actually changed the picture of me on his phone to a baby in a little bouncy seat. Because <laughs> that's oh what he gosh. insists the lever is. <laughs> what is my picture on Eric's phone? Uh, Never mind. I actually don't want to so, know. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Actually, I would like to know that as well. Your picture <laughs> on my phone, uh, Michelle, is you at the finish a line lasagna? of the Leadville five, 50 miler. Uh, oh, it really? was the vegan lasagna in the past. Yes. But no, now it's the uh, you, you at the finish line. And and recently, uh, your phone kept prompting me to update it to some other profile picture, which I refused <laughs> to do. Um, but I'm, anyway, I'm very disappointed. Somehow I updated Michelle's profile picture to this. It's a rather good picture, Michelle. I'll admit. Oh, you had you my dad, Cowboys didn't hat. you? It's it's that it profile was, picture. Yeah. It was previously a picture of your dad my wearing dad, the pink right. shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. And I have to find that picture Berlin. again to reset it. So I've, I've got to figure that out. There you go. There you go. Um, anyway. But what were we talking about? Berlin Marathon. The lever in your buildup. Oh yeah, the lever in the buildup. Yeah. You know, how did you of feel course. your fitness was? Going um, well, I felt like it was a big question mark, really. Um, I mean, and I didn't do any races and I didn't do any races in the lead up to, to London either. The only real indication I had of what my fitness was, um, was the uh, Blue Ridge Relay. Um, all the workouts I was doing was on the lever, well, on, on the treadmill, which normally I would be okay with that. But I was taking, you know, 15 pounds off of my body weight in order to run on the workout or on, run on the treadmill and do my workouts. And I just didn't really know what the impact of that was on my pace and on my system and things like that. I just and, and I wasn't sure whether my body was, in fact, getting a full and proper workout with this contraption holding up my body weight. Right. I just it was just a big question mark. 
the Blue Ridge really convinced me that I, I might be in pretty good shape, um, that, that I did have some fitness. Um, but it was really a question mark. I mean, going into this race, I, I honestly thought I could run anywhere from 237 to 247. Um, I, I knew I wasn't as fit as I was going into London. I knew that. And okay. so I wasn't expecting to go there and run 235 or better um, like I had in London. Um, but it, but I felt like I had done training similar to what I had done leading up to the Philadelphia Marathon in 2018. And I ran 237 there. Um, uh, I felt like I had done training similar to the training I had done going into Flying Pig. I ran 236 there in 2019. Um, and this is a fast course. Berlin is yep. an exceedingly yep. fast course, as we've seen from last year's world record from Elliot Kipchoge and certainly this year's world record from Keek Sasefa, who I'm sure we're going to talk about in a little while. Um, and so I really just didn't know. Um, and so because of that, I said, all right, well, my goal is then obviously under 240. Um, and I ran 240.50. Um, so I'm happy with that time. I'm happy with that race. I'm certainly happy with my effort. I don't think I could have gone any faster, but it is a little bit frustrating to have your goal to be under 240 and it to be just over 240, if that makes sense. Like I wouldn't be all that bummed out if my goal had been 242 and I ran 243, or if my goal had been 236 and I ran 237. But for my goal to be 239, I ran 240. That feels a little bit different. Um, and that is so a little bit of a blemish on the whole thing. When you go into races, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but when when you go into races, do you use that like running rogue philosophy of I have a target and that's it? Or do you have like graduated targets of, okay, I really want to run 238, under 240 would be great, um, but less than 241 is fine. Mm -hmm. I, I, what I have, it's something like what you just described. I have a, a goal that's based on what I think I can do if things line up. Right. And that's and that's kind of what this goal was, even though, as I'm saying, my 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 question, my fitness was a real question mark. Um, I felt like if everything lined up well on this fast course where there tends to be good weather um, and if, in fact, I am in pretty good shape, then I think I can probably run under 240. Like it, it wasn't a pie in the sky. Goal. I like it wasn't a, like I was playing to run 234. I knew I was not that fit. Right. Yeah, but you left one thing off that list. I mean, mm -hmm. the all important did I eat barbecue before the race? You said everything <laughs> had to line up. That was probably the, all the difference right there, right? <laughs> I um, mean, two seconds per mile. So, so I know that that, that was probably thing. the difference right there. Two seconds per mile. It was probably the water stations, which we can talk about more in a minute. If I really want to put okay. a pin it, pin it on something, that's what I would pin it on. Um, if okay. I really even need to pin it on something, I don't know why I feel like I need to rationalize it, but um, but but um, but no, for me, it was very much too. And I've always done this with marathons for the past five or six years. Like it's also you get in there, you run that first mile, you kind of see where you are and then you adjust as need be. And so I, I ran that first 5K and I was, I was it was all kilometers. There was no mile markers. Um, and so I ran about the first mile ish uh, around like 615, which is like 245 pace. And I was like, all right, that's fine. This is this might be what I have today. I don't know. Um, and I went through the 5K at about 19.15. Um, and 19 flat per 5K is 240.20. Um, and so I was like, all right, 19 flat per 5K, that was about my goal. Um, and then after that first like 19.15, I started doing like 19 flat, 19 flat, 19 flat, 19 flat, 19 flat, 19. And so at that point, I was like, all right, I feel like, you know, by the time I got to halfway, which was about 120.10, um, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm about where I need to be. Um, 
I, I feel pretty good here. And I still think that 240 being under 240 is, is still in the cards. Um, actually, I thought, honestly, when I crossed the finish line or when I came in sight of the finish line, I thought I was going to be just under 240. I thought I was going to be about a minute faster than I was. Um, mm. I missed the last 5K split. The last real split that I kind of looked at was the 32K split, which is right about 20 miles, right? Um, and I had been 202, right at 202 at 20 miles or at 32K. And I was like, oh, all right, if I'm at 202 at 20 miles, that means I have still a minute, like I, I, I can still be under 240. What I failed to realize, of course, is that 32K to 20 miles is too rough a conversion. Yeah, it's tough. It's 19.88 miles. Um, mm. And 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 so I took, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and we know so, that from cross country, the the three point right. one. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and so I, so I did slow down a little bit between thirty five k and forty k, just because I was tired and, and it was hard and it was starting to get a little bit warm. Um, and and so I had lost fifteen seconds basically in that first five mm k. -hmm. I lost probably about fifteen seconds in that uh, last five k. Um, and then a few seconds kind of here and there all along the way. Um, and so I ended up running two forty fifty. Um, if, if you could go back and catch that split correctly, do you think it would have been demoralizing in the moment to realize how much you'd slow down? Like if you, are you like at 40 K? Yeah. Or do you think that had you got that split correctly, you might've had something else that last two K. I mean, I don't know, George, 50 seconds in two K is. No, I, I don't think so. Yeah, no, I, yeah. no, I, def I definitely could not, like, I definitely could not have made up 50 kilometers in, yeah. <laughs> or 50 seconds in, in the last 2K because, because, because I just didn't, yeah, I didn't mean, that's, that's impossible. And plus I was already on the limit. It's not like I was yeah. jogging it in at that point. Right. But sure. no, I, I, I didn't need the 40K split because for me, I, I had already, I literally in my head had been thinking when I was mapping out the course and doing minute imagery on the course and everything just before the 40 kilometer mark, you take two lefts um, and there you literally take a left sure. and you run a block and you take another left and then you take a right, then you take a left, then you take a right and then you take the final left and the final oh, left gosh. goes under the Brandenburg gate and into the finish line. And so then that's basically the last two kilometers of the course. So left, left, right, left, right, left. Um, and I had that in my head from mile one. Um, I was like, get to the two lefts, get to the two lefts, get to yeah. the two lefts. And so, so I didn't care what the 40 kilometer mark was at that point. Just I was like, to get done. to the two lefts and you know, you bury yourself on those two lefts at that Perfect. point, you, you are, you go deep into the, you throw down whatever else you have left. Right. Yeah. yeah. You were running, you were running five forty five pace. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Over the last kilometer just, of the race. Just imagine that Michelle. Yeah. yeah no, it's not. Pace. Yeah. Yeah. In, um, in, the, in the last kilometer of the race, I was able to, to bring it down to about 540 pace, which I was happy with. But it literally, I was under the Brandenburg gate and the finish line comes into view because there's about a quarter mile between the Brandenburg gate and the finish line. And and I was in my head, I was like, I was like, you got this, you're under two, you got this, you got this. And then the clock comes into view uh, and it says like 24020 or something like that. And I was like, oh, what? Man. How did that happen? And of course, I went back afterwards and was like well of course yeah all, th this all adds up right it's not right. like it was a mistake or something it usually does <laughs> yeah but yeah right um but but it was just my numeracy and and everything else i was kind of relying on the time just was, was off and yeah, so that, I, and so i think that's kind of why i'm a little bit bummed about it too is that i thought yeah. i had it then i didn't you know yeah 
So. The second half of 20, I'm looking at your Strava, the second half of 22, 23, 24, 25, that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it, it almost looks like you realized it, mm-hmm. but it's really just the way you finish a marathon. It's just, it's just yeah. yeah, it's just me finishing strong. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately my, my, um, I said my first half was one twenty ten. It was actually one twenty eighteen, Um, and then my second half was one twenty thirty two. Um, that's a pretty solid even split. <laughs> I feel pretty good you, about that. You know, you so, nailed so, it. I mean, so, you yeah, were pretty I, I even think I ran a good thing. race. Yeah. yeah. And I think I ran, I think I ran the best race I could have run. And so again, like if it was a difference between 238 and 239 or 242 and 243, like I, I feel okay about it, but it's, it's, there's a little bit of a blemish on the race thinking if only I could have found two seconds per mile. <laughs> what was going on at the end of the first 10 K? Let's you see. ran like a couple quick miles. Probably like probably mile. a slight downhill. Yeah, probably a slight downhill. I think it's or an uphill. Oh, I yeah. And I'm yeah, like I don't know. Yeah, a lot of times there there was there was talk of how there are very slight uphills and downhills on that course, and there's I didn't really feel a whole lot of them. I felt the downhill slightly, but I didn't really feel any of the okay. uphills. Um, I was surprised on this course, um, and I remember being surprised about this in London as well. Um, that for as fast as people have run in Berlin, I kind of presumed that it was going to be like perfect. Do you know what I mean? Like, like sure. it was going to be this, you know, wonderfully paved, hardly any turns long. And it wasn't that way at all. Like there were lots and lots and lots of turns for one thing, um, just like there was in London. And then there's like potholes and divots in the road. And there's all these places where we like cross train tracks and stuff. Um, so it was not like what you would, if you were designing a course to be fast, this is not what you would design. Um, and so I was kind of, I was kind of surprised by that. Um, I didn't expect there to be as much road furniture. And then of course the water stations. So I know you want to talk about fueling Michelle. So, so yeah, we can I talk do about want water to talk about water stations. So I think that's a good favorite idea. Topic. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think you fueled with Morton gels. I'm not sure. Yeah. So what did that, what did that look like? What was the plan? Um, and what actually happened? Uh, I stuck to the plan uh, and, and I did the same plan that I've always done. And so at the, at the expo the day before I bought a Martin bar. Um, and so. Which that, bar? There's so two bars, I think now. <laughs> the, their, their original or their, their non-flavored bar. Right. Oh, it's so gross. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't think it's that gross. I think it kind of tastes like an it's oatmeal rice crispy treat. Like an, or like a nature Valley bar, but like with Sweeter. sports nutrition in it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I got up that morning and, and had a little bit of breakfast. Um, the hotel where we were staying, which was a beautiful hotel, um, called the Hotel de Rome, which was very close to the start. Actually, it was a great location. Um, score one for blue pineapple travel. Um, it was about 1200 meters from the finish line, um, from the finish area, um, which was together with the start area. Um, and, uh, they opened early that morning at six 30 um, for breakfast. And so I got up at six and kind of got everything together, went down, had two pots of tea to myself. Um, <laughs> and, uh, pots. and then, um, uh, had, uh, a couple of rolls with some jelly on them. Um, they had this really good homemade cherry jelly at this hotel where we stayed. It was like the highlight of being there. It was might've been the best part of that hotel of that great hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, and then just kind of pa- packed up myself and, and walked to the start. And 
like Chicago, the start was pretty easy. And so I kind of got there a little bit too early. Um, so I kind of hung out for a little while and then ended up um, checking my bag in, leaving most of my clothes on. Um, about 20 minutes or so before the start, I um, I ate that Martin bar. Um, and pretty soon after that, I ran into Allison Mercer friend of the podcast, <laughs> just uh, randomly ran into her amongst the tens of thousands of people that were there um, and ended the, up talking for to her for a little while. What? For the the first of three times that I ran oh, into okay. her, yes. Um, uh, also ran into her immediately after the race and then ran into her as she was on a, a, a pedal bike tour the day after the race. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, and talked to her for a little while. And then it was interesting. They don't let you into the pens in Berlin early. They don't let you in the starting corral early. So there's not really a big advantage to getting there all that early. Um, I mean, I, I was able to use the bathroom without waiting in a big long line, which was good. Um, and then they have these urinals for men that just are out there for anybody to use. And so I used you one guys of those are twice. So lucky. It like was your so whole species. It was so weird. We're, we're the same species as you, Michelle, but but <laughs> you might you might be in our whole sex. Um, <laughs> Whatever. The bathroom topic is very difficult. Well, it's but, so unfair. but it but it was it was weird. So Eric, you may or may not appreciate this. They have these like big plastic urinal things where there's the the they're four urinals a piece and they have like 10 of them in a row. And so there's just 40 urinals just out there. Not like off in the woods, but like literally alongside the path. And so you're walking to your corral and you're like, oh, I need to use a bathroom. And you stop and use a urinal right there in front of everybody. So where do the women pee? Hashtag Germany. <laughs> I'm not um, sure why you tagged me as in appreciating that or not. Um, <laughs> well, that's what I said. I don't know whether you would or not. So, but, um, and then I do also, appreciate being able to relieve myself before. So, race, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but, but it was, it was weird because you know, stop and go and then people are just all right there. Um, and during the race, like, like dudes would run off to the side and just pee on the, the, the side of the road right there in front of everybody. So just like we're in the tour de France, but anyway, um, and so, yeah, I used, used that a couple of times, but then my race start, um, was at, I want to say nine 20. They didn't let us into the corral until nine, um, until after the wheelchairs had started. Um, and so we, we kind of, they open up the gate and we all kind of rush in there real quick, basically. Um, and, uh, I got a spot. It was a good spot. I was right next to the starting line. Um, I could feel the heat from the fireworks at the start and it took me about 11 seconds to get over the starting line after they fired the gun, which is pretty good for a marathon of that size, obviously. Um, yeah. but, but yeah, I was surprised by that. Um, I then ended up, um, taking the Martin gels, um, at basically every, I took them every, what was it? Eight, I, I took the first, so it's, it's kilometers. That's the reason why I'm, why I'm pausing. Oh, I took yeah. the first okay. one at the four kilometer mark. And then I took them every eight kilometers after that. So four, 12, 20, 28, 36. That's it. How many minutes is four kilometers into the race? So it's five. So four minutes, kilometers in the race is two and a half miles. And so it's about 15 minutes 20, or so. 15 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of what I've always done. I've always taken them at the two mile mark and then taken them every five miles after that. It's like two, seven, 12, 17, 22. And this, so this was kind of my rough approximation of that in kilometers, which I did on the fly as I did everything with kilometers to miles on the fly during this race. Um, did you use um, any of the caffeinated gels? Like, did you switch mm -hmm. them in and out or how'd that work? Yeah. Yeah. I, the, the, the first one I used was caffeinated. Okay. Um, then the second one was not, the third one was, the fourth one was not, the fifth one was, I think. 
Um, and so, yeah, I think I used three caffeinated ones and two non-caffeinated ones. Yeah. Cool. Um, and, and that works fine. And then I got the water off the course. Um, and cause I, I mean, you never can tell and what, are what people do? are going to have on course. Right. Or yeah. like, you, and you don't, and even particularly when you start doing international marathons, like Tokyo or Berlin, like actually getting your hands on whatever the drink they're going to have on the course is, it can be tricky. Um, and so I just rely on the water on the course and then carry my actual calories with me. Um, that's just sort of the way that, that I've been doing it for years and years and years, even when I was doing, um, Ironmans. Um, and, um, uh, that works out pretty well. The problem was the water at the Berlin marathon, they give it to you in plastic cups, um, that are made of recycled materials. Um, and you can't pinch a plastic cup to really be able to drink out of it all that well, uh, the way you can with like a, a paper cup. And so I basically would grab some water. I would it was almost like like that scene from the movie Airplane where like people are like, I have a drinking problem and they like miss their face. Like that's what it was like. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, and it wasn't just that way for me. It was that way for like literally everybody. And so so you're you're trying to drink and you're like throwing water and you get like an ounce in your mouth. And so you then run over and grab another cup and another cup. And then all these cups are getting onto the ground and the water is all over the ground too. And, and there's manhole covers and train tracks and stuff. And so, you're, and so those are getting wet and you don't want to slip. So, so, so sounding the, the, difficult. Yeah. And so, so the, and that's, and that's for me who was in the top thousand runners in the race. Right. Um, and yeah. so fortunately I had read about this being an issue and I had read about how the plastic cups were, were kind of a pain. And so it didn't throw me off my game all that much, but Lord, they really were, um, uh, it could be really chaotic going through all of these stations. Um, and, and there were multiple times when I found that if I was with a couple of people and I went over and got water and kind of did this whole throwing water everywhere, getting it all over myself, all over my hair, all over the people next to me while meanwhile getting all their water onto me and onto the ground and all that sort of thing. Um, I would look up and realize they were 15 or 20 yards down the road if the people That's I was wild. running with hadn't actually stopped. And so mm -hmm. I do think that I was giving up time for, for those. And so, yeah, if, if, if I was really going to get all fired up and be like, ah, I should have had this and you know, I needed 50 more seconds, I would have been under 240. I, I, I would chalk it up to the water stations. Um, but those are part of the race, right? Um, the first and the last water stops, they weren't even like bendy plastic cups. They were like the sort of plastic cups that your <laughs> kids have that they yeah. drink juice out of that you sure. give them when they're four years old. They were like stiff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you, and you couldn't even bend them. I mean, and so, so imagine you're on the run trying to drink water out of a cup that doesn't even bend. And that's what the first and last water stations were. Is yeah. that all part of their efforts for sustainability? Right? Yeah. And so, so it's tied. In, I, I, I should go back and read a little bit more, but, but yeah, they pride themselves on their sustainability. Um, and, and on the cups, it says this is made from recycled plastic. And so I'm sure all the cups are made from recycled plastic. And I'm sure in turn, they probably then recycle all of those plastic cups, right? Plastic, strange enough, is easier to recycle than paper if it's used. Um, and, and so that is part of their, their sustainability mission. Um, and that falls in line with, with that particular goal. Um, but, but yeah, like I said, fortunately I had read about that. And so I knew it was going to be an issue. And so I wasn't completely thrown off by it, but it's real. Um, trying to navigate those stations when it's hard to drink the water and there's cups and water all over the ground and everything else is tough. Yeah. So, so I've got a question going back to that last, like four or five miles of the race. Mm -hmm. so you you ran a really steady 
pace to the race, which makes sense because it's a fairly flat course, as you you, mm-hmm. know, you mentioned. And you actually said to the group, uh, we our, our our BRR group, our Bluebirds Relay group, someone said great pacing, and you said, well, it's easy to pace when you're on the limit the whole it's true, time. man. <laughs> it's, it, when, when, when your marathon speed is only a few seconds faster than your top speed, it's pretty easy. No, a few and, seconds and, and, slower. And so a few seconds slower. Yeah, thank you. Um, and, and I actually said that in, in another race report, I think last year, maybe when we were talking about London yeah. and, and yeah. Michelle gave me a hard time about it. And Katie Ferguson, friend of the podcast, reached out to me and Michelle at the same time and, and made a joke about it. Um, but but I, I have said before, I think it's it's hard for me at age 49 to go out too fast. Like I have to really, really screw it up to go out too fast because because my 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 10, 5k pace, which is a hard pace, is only a little bit faster than my marathon. I mean, I, I just kind of I, I can't go out too fast because I don't have the ability to 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 run that much faster than marathon pace. Does that make sense? I, I, um, yes. I think that's a bit of an exaggeration because I've like, seen like, like, like you if, can run a 5k at like, like, if, not like, six like, minute if, pace. like, like if my, if my marathon pace is six minutes per mile, right. Roughly. If my yeah. marathon pace is six minutes per mile, if you asked me to run a single all out mile, I would be working. I mean, working hard to run a 520. Um, and, and I know that the type of, effort that it would take for me to run a 520 is way too hard for the first mile of a marathon. And yeah. so there's no way that I'm going to run a 520 first mile opening mile in a marathon because that's just way, way, way too hard for me, even though it's only 40 seconds per mile faster than my marathon pace. People run 40 seconds per mile faster than their marathon pace all the time in marathons when they're screwing it up. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm never going to do that because 40 seconds per mile faster than my marathon pace is just way too hard for me to run. Well, 26.2 miles. Yeah, But even for one mile, that's what I'm saying. If you're a 10 minute miler and you run a 920, that's a huge difference from a six minute miler running a 520. So I get what you're saying, but there is a, there is a diminishing differential between your, as you, as you get more and more, um, as you, as you're a faster and faster runner, but what I was trying to get at was you, I, I, I'm impressed, you know, and this is GPS data, so it's not great, right? It's not perfect, but I Definitely, was really yeah. impressed with, with how steady you were through the race that mile 22, you know, Strava says you're in a six thirteen, which was like, like that was the beginning of that kind of slowing down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But what I noticed there, I was looking at your heart rate data, um, you you went 166 166 and it's like 169 169 and even though you were slowing down your heart rate was coming up because you had been a pretty steady 160 161 and you were averaging like 609 if you're a little while and stuff like that but then all of a sudden when you slowed down your heart rate actually went up yeah it's because I was so, into the end uh, game, right? Is, I mean, is, that, is, yeah. Were you in that that last ten k when yeah. things start to really hurt? Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what that is. I mean, because so much of a marathon um, is um, is is running twenty miles as controlled but fast as you can, and then mm-hmm. just trying trying to hang on for the last ten k. That's what so much, and everybody mm-hmm. will say that. People have been saying that since long before I was running marathons. Um, and so, so yeah, I think that that's, that's what was reflected in, in that, 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 yeah, I'm hanging on, I'm even slowing down a little bit, but my heart is, is starting to, to go up through the roof. 
because but then yeah. that's an indicator that you did so you saying i was pretty much on the limiter mm-hmm. in the last 10k even though you you've slowed down a little bit your heart rate is still going up mm-hmm. i feel like you gave everything you had right yeah, I do. I do too. And I felt yeah. that way. I felt that way qualitatively. And I felt that way. And I think that the data that you're citing um, uh, certainly backed that up. Um, yeah. The yeah. 169s show that you gave everything you had. Yeah, I agree. Um, no, certainly. Um, and and that's, that's the thing too. When I ran London last year and I crossed the finish line in London last year, even though it was a, it was a PR and I was super proud of that effort. Um, there was a part of me that felt like, I wonder if I could have actually run a little bit faster. If I would have been a little bit more aggressive, I want I do not have that feeling at all about this race. I feel like I ran the absolute best I possibly could have run. And I think that's a really good thing. Yeah. I think that's a really good thing. That's like one of those bars for me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The the only blemish on it is the fact that it was 50 seconds over 240. Like, like that, that 240 barrier sitting right in there is really a pain um and again it's if it was not the difference between being over 240 and under 240 i wouldn't be sweating it but that being in there it'd be like the difference between being over three hours and under three hours you know it's just yeah it's a pain but like i said that's like a that's like a two percent out of 98 percent. like like I, I still feel really good about it yeah. you should feel good about it because i think people who follow the sport know that world marathon majors just added a seventh race right so we have the sydney they're in the process mm-hmm. and gonna be a i guess will be a seven star finisher yeah. at some point very soon but your performance in berlin qualified you for the age group world marathon major championship race yeah and that's going to be held in sydney yep. next year yep. so what did it feel like getting that kind of email and do you that think was cool go over yeah. to Sydney and run down under like <laughs> no, that was cool. So they announced right before Berlin that, that the world marathon major age group championship, which is what I did last year in London, which I thought was cool. Um, and which is going to be this weekend in Chicago for 2023 is next year in 2024 going to be in Sydney and it's going to be on September 15th. So they announced it on September 15th of 2023 that the world marathon major age group championship is going to be in Sydney on September 15th of 2024. Um, and then, yeah, the Tuesday after the race, they said, congratulations, by virtue of your performance in Berlin, you've qualified for the World Marathon Major Age Group Championships on September 15th of 2024 in Sydney, Australia. Pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and my wife has said, my, my wife has been to six continents and has not been to Australia. Australia, oh, Australia <laughs> is on the, the top five places to visit for all four members of my family. Um, okay. Are the and wheels so, that sounds like a great opportunity for blue pineapple travel. I it, know. Is no, there a it, tentative it is. itinerary? Here, here, here is the problem. The problem is, is that that race on September 15th, which is my wife's birthday, by the way, um, oh it, uh, it, it is the week before the fellow's fall break. And so both with London last year and with, with, um, Berlin this year, they missed like a day or two of school, but the bulk of the trip was actually when they were on fall break where they didn't have to actually be at school. This one, we would have to leave like on a Thursday or maybe even a little bit earlier, like a Wednesday because Australia is so far away. Um, So we'd have to leave like on a Thursday. So they missed Thursday. They missed Friday. Then they'd miss that whole next week after the race. 
and then they would have their fall break. I think it's um, fine. Your teacher, you can, <laughs> you can just you can figure it out. I mean, I bet if you ask them about it, they'd be totally cool with it. Oh, you they mean would be, we get they would a week off on board. and then we get a week yeah. off? I mean, yeah. I do think you need to find another way to celebrate Casey's birthday because toting the kids around following you in a marathon is probably not her ideal birthday. <laughs> the, but they, they were fantastic, by the way. Um, uh, they are very good at this. We, we figured out how to use uh, the underground, the, the Berlin underground the day before. Um, and, uh, and, and they were on the spot. They saw me, they saw me four times. Um, the yeah, only problem awesome. was that, that the first three times that I saw them because the crowds were so thick, like one of the words, if you ask me to describe the whole race is crowded, like not only like in the field, like I was constantly around so many other people. Um, but the cheering along the course, it was just so crowded. Um, and so the first three times they were out there cheering for me, I got to hear them, but I didn't see them until I was like on them. Um, and then the last time I saw them, it was when we were into those turns that I mentioned before, we were in the finale um, and and I could see them from a distance. Um, and that was the only time I was, the crowds were spread out enough that I was actually able to see them from a distance and able to run over and give them high fives and all that sort of thing, which was cool, which was great. Um, but but uh, yeah, they were great. Four times, oh, they saw me all four times. Um, they were Sydney's on a maybe, is that what I'm hearing? S Sydney is a weak maybe. A week, maybe. Um, yeah. Okay. And so so I would say there's an 80% chance that it's a no. But that's a really compelling 20%. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still cool to qualify. So, um, and it is still cool to qualify. I appreciate it. I, I like having the option, obviously. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if Sydney ends up becoming a star, if it becomes ends up becoming a world marathon major, which, you know, them and Cape Town are both in consideration, um, then what does that mean for like so-called six-star finishers? This is my fifth star. The only one I have left now is Tokyo. And we all know about the Tokyo saga for George. Um, you might have but, two left. <laughs> so I might, they're, are they going to go to seven stars? Are yeah, they I don't know. going to make it six? And so I can do Sydney and that can be my six star and get my little special. Like, I don't know. No, I don't know. Yeah. Um, that question has been asked in some of the Facebook groups I'm in. And, and uh, the World Marathon Majors organization has said, them hosting the age group world championship has nothing to do with their status as a star race. So it seems likely that that is going to be the next star race though. So, Oh yeah, I agree with you on that. Okay. But, 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 but they, they were basically saying, if you're thinking maybe to use the world group, the world age group championship to, to get the seventh star, we can't guarantee you that it's necessarily going to be a star before September 15th of 2024. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know. So besides fueling being critical, the other thing we always love to talk about are shoes. Absolutely. We want to know, did you wear the $500 Adidas shoes in the space, George? Did you find uh, the a pair that, in the, Germany The one that takes the safer one to run 211.53. <laughs> we um, are going to yeah. talk about that. But first, we want to know what was on your feet. <laughs> uh, no, I did not wear the $500 pair of Adidas Adios it ends with Evo one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, there's the so many names. Yeah. The $500 yeah, pair. I did like not seven names. To um, shoe. I, uh, in contrast to that so-called so one race pair of shoe, uh, or run race shoe, um, I wore the Puma fast R nitros for my third marathon. I wore them last same year, uh, same pair. Um, I wore them last year, same pair in the, uh, in the, the, uh, London Marathon. I wore them in the Austin Marathon. Didn't wear them in Houston. Um, wore them in the Austin Marathon. 
um, and then wore them uh, in Berlin. And they were great. They, they continue to be a great pair of shoes for me. Um, they have about 100 miles on them at this point between those three marathons and um, and a handful of workouts that I've done. Um, yeah. And and I will ultimately buy another pair um, cool. because because I, because I, I really like those shoes a lot. And I think they've performed really well for me. Actually, Puma had a a, a, a stand at the um, expo. They had a tent. Um, and I went over and talked to the people about it and, and, and said, yeah, I'm wearing fast hours tomorrow. And they're like, Oh, great. You wore them for you. I wore them last year in London. So that was kind of fun to have that conversation yeah. for sure. Yeah. Did you, yeah. uh, take a look around and just look at what anybody else was wearing? Like most people are in a super shoe. <laughs> I mean, I would notice this. Mm-hmm. I don't think you would. I'm just curious. I, I don't feel like I did, um, okay. to, the de- to, the, to the degree that I did, I noticed people wearing Nikes. Um, okay. and I noticed people wearing Sauconies. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't see anybody else wearing the same pair of shoes I was wearing. I did see a couple of people wearing the same singlet that I was wearing. Um, I wore the same singlet that I wore last year in London, which is like flowery and with parrots on it and stuff like that, which is just kind of fun. Um, and, uh, and I did see a couple of people wearing that particular singlet again. Um, but I didn't see anybody wearing the same shoes that I was wearing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I like their shoes a lot. I think they're fun. And Puma just, uh, there was an article in Runner's World that just came out about Molly Seidel. Um, and Puma comes off really well in that article. <laughs> Do you know that I, this yeah. is crazy, but I actually fell asleep halfway through reading that article last night. I don't remember the last time I did that. I woke up and my phone is not on the charger and I open it and it goes right to that article. So I'm looking forward to, to finishing that hopefully yeah. at some point. Puma, Puma comes off as being unequivocally supportive of her, despite the fact that she's run into a lot of issues over the course of the past two years. And and that's something that I appreciate. Yeah. Glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, Puma fam. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Me too. One last thing I'll say about it. Um, and, and this is kind of goes to sort of the ethos of the marathon. Um, it was much more of the sort of feel that you had at Chicago or that I had at Chicago and that I had at Houston earlier this year. Um, it was not as much camaraderie and jocularity among the athletes as there are in Austin as there was even in London last year. And I think some of that might've been a language barrier. Um, like I don't speak German. And so I was intimidated. I didn't want to be like that English, that that American who presumes that everybody speaks English. And so yeah. I wasn't trying to, you know, talk to a whole lot of people during the race and stuff like that. Um, and there was English signs in a lot of places, but the default language, of course, as it should be, was German, the German. The, the, the language of, of the people who are running the race, right? Um, but more than that, there was also this sense that the people who were there were very serious and were there trying to run fast and accomplish big goals, if that makes sense. Um, I had that same feel in Houston and I had that same feel in Chicago. Um, and Houston and Chicago are also known as places where people go to run fast and be serious, right? Um, and so in some ways, and, and I say this very delicately, in some ways, this race wasn't as fun um as some other marathons that i've done um because there just wasn't as much joking and laughing and and things like that um yeah and and i I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily but i do think that it's 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 an important aspect of this marathon that any race report would not quite be complete if i didn't also mention you waited a long time to do this race i mean it's been on and off the calendar for several years so yeah since 2020 yeah yeah is it would you say that that part like 
was it disappointing from the camaraderie fun hmm. vibe you know part um no of a race? I, I, I i don't think so no, it wasn't disappointing in that regard it was just it, different it, it, if yeah um i wasn't i wasn't totally expecting that but then once i reflected on it i was like well that yeah that makes sense and i and i think that's a thing like and i think that's important for me to keep in mind like as i'm choosing future races that the the races where people go to run fast are going to have a different feel um and and that's it took me three races like that to realize that that's a thing um that that those races have a different sense of camaraderie and less playfulness among the runners in in the first one percent of the field right um but that being said um i still enjoyed the race i wasn't disappointed by it by any regard um if if anything the only thing that was disappointing about having done it in 2023 as opposed to 2021 or 2020 was the fact that i did have this compromised buildup um and and i was kind of bummed that i finally get the chance to run this race and i wasn't able to train for it as focusedly and as intently as, as i wanted to um and and that that was a little bit disappointing um i'm still happy with how i ran given the issues i faced in my build but it's frustrating to me that 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 I wasn't able to fully take advantage of this opportunity physically. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah. Yeah. I also should say I was a little bit disappointed that they didn't have quite as much merch at the expo as I was hoping for. That's way better for your bank <laughs> account, though. <laughs> at London, they had so much merch. Like... They had all these like casual t-shirts and they had all these like jackets and hoodies and pullovers and all these different sorts of things. At at Berlin, every Adidas was the sponsor and they had several things for you to run in, but that's it. So there was no like hangout wear. Um, and what I really wanted was like a hoodie and or a t-shirt. And there weren't really those. I had my finisher shirt. And so so I have something to run in that says Berlin on it if I want but to. Not something to but, relax in. but but not something to relax in and so actually the shirt that i'm wearing right now i bought this in in germany at a store um and on the shirt is the symbol for the walk don't walk signs that they have in berlin mm. um <laughs> so and cute. and and so the like the logo the apple mention um this guy is called um he is like well known they literally have stores and pins and socks and and uh tea towels and all these sorts of things with with that logo on them and so i actually bought a t-shirt with that logo on it and so this is my this is my berlin marathon casual shirt <laughs> and just just to give everybody a window into my life it's about george <laughs> complaining about not having enough merch at the berlin marathon and michelle sending videos of the artwork and the bucky's yeah. store while yeah. she's walking into the men's bathroom. <laughs> you love us. We are these the highlight of your day. These are these are the text threads that, that that you live in, man. By the way, guys, can I tell you this? When I was filming the men's side of the Buckies, I cannot tell you how many men saw me standing there filming it. So they immediately turned left and they headed towards the women's restroom nice. because they assumed that I was like, why would I be standing there? And then they nice. realized that was women and they came back. That was actually nice. a really fun part. Those art walls are important, Eric. Like you have to go to Bucky's and admire the art exhibit as you enter the bathrooms. The most expensive items at Bucky's for sure. Yeah. Cool. 
Um, I, I did no get to comment. see some. I did get to see some legitimate art while in Berlin. By the way, um, uh, the coolest thing I did there as a tourist, um, seeing Checkpoint Charlie was very cool. Um, all the stuff around like the wall and and running under the Brandenburg Gate was very cool. Um, Brandenburg Gate was still a little bit orange because there had been a protest the week before where people threw paint on it. Um, and in fact, that's the same group of protesters threw orange paint on the road in front of the race right before I ran through. And so there's all this orange paint on the road um, mm. uh, uh, about 100 meters into the race. Um, but the coolest thing I saw um, and shout out to one of my training partners, Lindy Weibel, for mentioning this to me um, was the East Side Gallery. Um, it's about a mile long length of, of wall. Uh, of the original Berlin Wall that's still up, but they turned into an art installation. And so it's basically all of these, you know, 10 foot high and about 12 to 15 feet wide panels of the different artists have done for an entire mile on what used to be the Berlin Wall. Um, it was super cool. Um, it was very moving. And it's one of it was it was a highlight of the trip for me outside of the race. Um, you know, that cool is something I think, George, you know, our generation very uh, a very poignant point in our generation mm -hmm. yeah. because we not only got to see like the a lot of movies and whatnot coming mm -hmm. out about yeah. that yeah but then while we were in high school yep that the, the wall actually came down i'm mm -hmm. glad you brought that up because that i mean i remember um a teacher one of my high school teachers I think it was high school teacher coming back with a piece of the wall. Mm -hmm. And that was just such a huge thing. And yeah. she had pictures of her with a sledgehammer, you know, walking oh, up wow. to the wall. Cool. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, now, of course, Quentin and Candler, my sons own a piece of the wall <laughs> because, <laughs> because you can buy them in, you know, the checkpoint Charlie gift shop, um, which is where we went and where they, where they bought pieces of the wall, which was very cool. Um, but yeah, like any sort of international travel or any sort of domestic travel, um, when you go to a place that you've read about in history books, you're, you're able, it, it deepens your understanding and, and almost can blow your mind a little bit about what actually occurred there. And so being, not only, of course, running into West Berlin, then coming back into East Berlin and then finishing back into West Berlin. I mean, obviously, that's very striking. But being in the area where that used to effectively be this huge demilitarized zone with walls on each side, um, with Americans and British and French and Soviet soldiers all occupying the city in order to maintain the wall, um, like seeing that and trying to wrap your mind around how that was not really all that long ago. It was about 30 years ago that that was the situation um, was really gripping and amazing. Um, and I think particularly, as you said, Eric, for, for people, for men of a certain age, for women of a certain age, um, it, it, it is indeed um, very, very meaningful. Cool. So real quick, because we're about an hour in, um, your physical fitness might have not have been, you know, 100 or 110% in Berlin. But we had what some a segue. Women, <laughs> we had some women female runners who yeah. just knocked it out of the park, one For in sure. particular. For so sure. maybe we should yeah. talk a little bit about the elite men and women, just yeah. elite women and men real quick, because yeah. A Berlin recap might not be uh, sufficient without mentioning a world record. Agreed. Agreed. No. And it's 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 definitely very cool to think that not only was a women's world record run um, on the course like in front of me, 
um, literally following the same roads that I was following. I mean, you know, they introduced her at the start and I was 50 yards away from her, right? Um, I was behind a bunch of people and she was in the front of the crowd. And so I couldn't actually see her. She was up on the screen. Yeah, and so they had Jumbotron so I could see her. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but same with Elliot Kipchoge. Like I saw, I could see his hand when he waved, but I couldn't actually you know, see him. Uh, so I didn't actually lay eyes on, on him. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, they fired the gun, same gun they fired for her is the one that started me. It took me 11 seconds to get over the starting line, but then I ran along the same spotted line that she did over the course of this entire course. That's very cool. Um, she ran a little faster than you. She ran a little bit faster than me <laughs> and a little bit faster than every woman in history. Who's ever <laughs> uh, run yeah, a marathon. <laughs> yeah. Breaking the world record by, by, I mean, it was an, it was an amazing thing. Um, when Bridget Koskai ran 214, low 214s in Chicago a few years ago. And, and, but I think we had kind of gotten to a point where people were starting to think, okay, that record is now not quite as mind blowing. It's a little bit more vulnerable. And, and in fact, it's the oldest, I didn't realize this until I, I read it afterwards. It was, it was the oldest women's distance record in the books, even though it's only about five years old. Um, and, and so it, it was kind of due to be broken. I think what shocked people and certainly shocked me when I got all your texts after I crossed the finish line um, was that she, she takes the Seifa in Berlin, skipped over 213, skipped over 212 and ran 211.53. That's just yeah. stunning and um, to take that so much people, time off of a world record in 2023. Just so people understand that is a 502 pace per mile. Yeah. Her final 10K was 3101. That would be on its own the twelfth fastest American ten thousand meter time ever. Yeah. I mean that is that is still we're twelve days out. I'm still having trouble processing what happened in the women's yeah. race in Berlin. It was incredible. Yeah, it was incredible. And she looked and and as you texted me, one of the texts that you sent me that I got at the finish line was she looked great crossing the finish line. Um, she looked really really good. Um, Why wasn't she tired? So I, like. <laughs> Yeah, she uh, she pulled off her her shoes that she was essentially kind of debuting the Adidas Adios Adi Zero Pro, Pro Evo One. I think yeah. we got that about right. Um, that are five hundred dollars, and she holds them up over her head. Um, and of course, Adidas being a title sponsor of the race, um, or uh, one of the major sponsors of the race, um, uh, was I'm sure very fired up about that. Um, yeah, I mean. Those are probably so, some some brilliant shoes, and she's clearly a brilliant runner. I mean, she was a 2016 Olympian in the 800, right? Um, but she's such an interesting character as well. Yeah, just to just to clarify, it's the Adidas Auto Zero Adios Pro Evo One, and if you want them, you can get them for thirteen hundred dollars on StockX right now. Oh my god! So forget the five hundred dollar price point. We are. <laughs> this is uh, if you paid five hundred dollars, you can double plus your investment ASAP. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or oh, you man. can, or you can go out and run two eleven fifty three and and be a world record holder. I mean, you but, know, you decide. Can you though, like, like, is the <laughs> jump from two eleven fifty three from a two fourteen world record is that just a five hundred dollar pair of shoes? No, like, it can't be. I no. mean, yeah, no, because it's not because it's not like it's not like like uh, Bridget Cosguy when she ran two fourteen was running barefooted or or running right, in, right. Know, run, running in right. chacos or something right, um, right. running in Crocs. I mean, she was she was. She was running in, in a pair of super shoes as well, right? Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I can believe, certainly, and I think science bears this out that super shoes are indeed that much faster than non-super shoes. 
I cannot believe that one pair of super shoes would be that much faster than another pair of super shoes. Do you know what I mean? I um, believe you. I agree. So, so, so there, 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 there's obviously it's, it's a, it's a solid pair of shoes um, for, for anybody to even sniff that time. Um, but yeah, it's still takes to safe who had to run it. Um, and that was just a brilliant performance on her part. Yeah. For sure. Um, ahead of the deepest women's marathon ever. What was it? Seven or eight women that ran under 220? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. These women, they did everything they could to stay with her. Um, and one by one, the carnage was just so visible because, you know, she's a 211 high finisher. And the next women, and there's a pack of them, they're all six minutes, you know, they're 217 something. Right. Um, but that's still incredible. You she, have a, she, half a dozen she literally women. beat she <laughs> yeah. literally beat the 217 finishers by, by a, a mile. mile. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah. Um, so so the so the people that there are people running under were women running under 220, men running under 220 who were starting those turns that I mentioned when she was crossing the finish line. It's incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. Um yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Elliot Kipchoge, we should mention, also won. Um, not by so, a mile, but he still not won. Not by a mile. <laughs> uh, and in fact, as you mentioned, he was being caught in the last, in the back was, half. Um, yeah, and, that was great uh, to watch. He was um, able a little to kind of hold together. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um, but he's kept his cool and was able to win. I mean, if nothing else, Elliot Kipchoge has shown us over the course of the past several years that he can win in a wide variety of ways. Um, yeah. And, and so, so, yeah. It's so interesting to see people it feels like they're not giving him as much credit for his win because he didn't set another world record, yeah. but he still beat he still the, ran, and, and, all and he the still best ran. other men in the world. <laughs> he still ran like, the eighth fastest marathon of all time. And, good, and yeah, what four I, of the ones or, or three or four of the ones that are still in front of that eighth fastest one are his. Um, like the bar is so high for him. The standard is so high for him that, that, he can it's never hard. meet people's expectations. Yeah, now, it's it's it impossible like, to, you know. to, to to meet or exceed yeah. people's expectations at this point. Um, yeah. But I would I'll, like to see him win another gold medal next year. That would definitely be historic and a nice way to to go out. That'd be incredible. And I, and I do think the Paris course will test him a bit. Um, it is, sure. it is you know, um, it's got a lot more variation in it than Berlin. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see going into Boston, which was so disappointing for him, how he said he didn't change his training at all. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see, you know, should he run Paris um, if mm -hmm. he does kind of change his approach. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. I'll, I'll say just, you know, because we're 48 hours shy of Chicago on Sunday, I found the American men, their performances on the whole to just be so disappointing in Berlin. Um, mm. We're, you know, less than a year out from the Olympics and we don't have any qualifiers and we don't have any spots unlocked uh, with the Olympic standard. And right. it just felt like the goal um, in Berlin should have been, if you know you're in 207, 208 fitness, just go out and run that time, like help us get these spots unlocked so that we can send American men marathoners to Paris. But no, we just decided to go out, you know, like crazy fast and blow up and do not finish. And I don't yeah. know. I just found that to be so disheartening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not that uh, it was a team race. I understand everybody's there for individual performances and goals, but we're at a point where, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens this one. weekend in Chicago. Yeah. We'll yeah. see what happens this weekend in Chicago. Uh, do you think, I will ask both of you, both Eric and Michelle, uh, do you think that, that Elliot Chogi loses his world record this weekend in Chicago? Do you think Kelvin no. Kiptum is going to, to run faster than 201.09? No. 
Uh, Eric says no. What do you think, Michelle? I don't think he's going to do it, but I think if he's going to do it, he needs to do it here. It's going to be 47 at the start, minimal wins, maybe 10-mile-an-hour wins, it said. So it's not minimal, but Chicago has enough coverage with buildings and stuff. Um, and the, and the temperature is just not climbing that much. Like the high for the day is maybe 56 or um, he I, – I hope he goes for it. Mm-hmm. I, I think – I think he will. I, I, I think I mean, he can go the, for the, it. I the, think the guy, he can the do it. The guy's 23 years old. He's yeah. only run two marathons, so, and they were both right. 201. Right. So, so the the my hesitation for him going all in on um, is just lack of experience. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have that much marathoning under his belt. Mm-hmm. But if everything goes perfect, he can definitely run faster than 20109. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, we will see. I think it'll be fun yeah. to watch. Um, yeah. I I haven't I haven't actually gotten up and watched a marathon in a while. Um, and I think Speak I'm gonna, for yourself. And, 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 yeah. Well, you got up and watched mine, Michelle, which I appreciate. <laughs> I, I, I do like it. It is fun and it's gratifying because I was wrecked after this marathon, after Berlin. Like I, I was having a hard time walking. Okay. And so, and, so, and, and so to circle back around to to the question you asked a minute at the very start about using the lever, my my um my my upper body was more sore after this one than I have ever been after any marathon. My I, I've been sore in my lower body before after a marathon, like crushed sore, and I certainly was for this one. Um, but my upper body has never been as sore and my like my lower back and my shoulders and all these various things. And I think that that is at least in part from doing so much mileage on the lever mm-hmm. where the lever was holding up my upper body. Like I had to hold up my own upper body, if that makes sense, over the course of this race. And I think that having to hold up my own upper body, actually, it, it hurt. Um, and so so I do think that that even though I was still able to train better than I would have been able to train without using the lever, I do think that using the lever did compromise my training versus if I were to have run the same amount without using the lever. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, that makes total sense. And so, so I do think that, that was one compromise that if I do, in fact, continue to use it, which I think I will, um, that's one thing I'm gonna have to make sure I keep in mind. Um, um, all right, y'all Berlin <laughs> wrapped <Check>. it up. <laughs> yep. 2023. Been there, done that. <laughs> Check it out the list. Yeah. Um, uh, glad I did it. Uh, and certainly I would recommend it for anybody who is, is looking for a, a fun race experience in one of the world's great cities, really. Um, next, next we're going to be Australia. talking. So, <laughs> We'll see. Well, there's something else I'm toying with next June. And so even if we do end up going to Australia, we might end up doing something different in June, but more to come on that as, as those plans develop. Uh, next up for this podcast is going to be us getting back together and recording the Doggettville 12 hour race report with Eric. And so everybody make sure you tune in for that. Michelle, thanks for being with us. Yeah. Thanks for giving us an awesome recap. Uh, Eric, always good to be with you, man. Always fun, George. Thanks. Thank you. We're going to go back to sending awesome text messages here. (laughs) Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasant podcast, on Twitter at pleasant podcast, on Instagram at most pleasant exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Be sure to share us with your friends. We're brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com. 
Their Twitter is at ITL Coaching, and their Facebook group is facebook.com slash ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them on Instagram at ITL Coaching. We're also proud to be sponsored by Elemental Altitude, Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com, on Instagram at elementalaltitude, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash elementalaltitude. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram at bluepineappletravel. And finally, High Echelon. You can find High Echelon at highechelonCPA.com. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We'll see you next time.